Hi, and welcome to the Hill City Podcast. This is a recording of the weekly gathering from Hill City Church. We exist to help people follow Jesus and build their lives around three goals, to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do what Jesus did. If you'd like to join us, we meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. in the Caustic Center in Farmington Hills, Michigan. We hope that today's message will help you follow Jesus. Hey friends, welcome. We are in week three of our series, Be Still. We were looking at the practice of solitude. In week one, we talked about solitude being a place of space, of stillness and rest with God. Week two, we talked about solitude being a place of strength. It's where we get our identity. It's where we hear God's voice. It's where we clarify our calling. Today, I'd like to look at solitude as a way of wrestling with God. Now, this might be a difficult concept to wrap our minds around, so let me let me explain. So before me, I have a jar, and in the jar, we have sand in it and then water, uh, and then life can sometimes be shaken up, and when it's shaken up, um, the sand and the water are inseparable. You can't tell. You can't even see through it. Um, that could be a breakup. That could be a job loss. It could be a job change. It could be a diagnosis that was unexpected. This could be graduation that's coming up or a car accident. It could be wedding planning. It could be a new kid that's about to arrive. But all of these things happen in a short period of time where it's shaken and then it settles. Another giant jar that I have before me that has more sand and more water in it, this represents maybe the everyday. It's the hurry. It's the worry. It's the pace and the load of life. And and what I'm doing, I'm just stirring the pot. And as I stir, the sand and the, and the water just churn and they kind of become one. This could be the grind of going to school. This could be um, the work that's coming up. That could be the practices that we have to work through. This could be the homework or the housework. And what happens is we're, we're stirring and we're stirring and we're stirring. But when we stop, the things that the stirring keeps down under the surface begin to rise up to the top. And the question is, what do we do with the stuff that begins rising within us? Well, there are a couple of things. We could ignore it. We could continue to let those things that are buried beneath the surface in our lives continue to impact our relationships. Or we can interrogate. We can examine those things that come up to the surface. We can look at it. We can let Jesus speak into it. We can wrestle with God over it. Now, this could be unknown territory for most people, yet I believe this is the place that Jesus does some of his greatest work. I believe this is where the gospel uh, that Jesus saved us and rescued us from sin uh, begins to take root in our very lives. You see, every person in life faces the struggle of stuff rising to the surface. Most people just don't know it's God who is waiting for them to wrestle with him on it. Henry Nouwen in his book, The Way of the Heart, says solitude is the furnace of transformation. It's the place of conversion where God meets us and he changes us. So today I'd love for us to look at the story of Jacob in the famous passage where he wrestled with God. But before we jump to that, it'd be really important for us to know a little bit more about Jacob as a man and the type of man he was the night that he wrestled with God. So back in Genesis 25, we see Jacob being born. Uh, he has a twin. His twin's name is Esau. Uh, names were really, really important uh, then, and they, they spoke of one's identity in almost in a prophetic way. So the name Esau means hairy because he was hairy. Jacob 
His name is very interesting. It means a heel grabber, which is a Jewish idiom for deceiver. Jacob came out grabbing Esau's heel. He came out as a way uh, to manipulate people and a deceiver. And Jacob spends the rest of his life doing that and positioning himself as being above people. A little bit later in that chapter, we saw his brother Esau in a very vulnerable state, and Jacob manipulates him out of his birthright. The next couple chapters, we see uh, Jacob manipulating his dad Isaac to get the blessing that actually belongs to Esau. Jacob's worked with with his mom, which is a very dysfunctional family, uh, even using uh, goat hair covered on his hands and the back of his neck to trick his dad, who was blind. In Genesis 28, we see him trying to control God. God, if you do this for me, if you give this to me, if you keep me safe, if you bless me, then you'll be my God and I'll follow you. In Genesis 30, we see Jacob manipulating his father-in-law Laban, who is actually a great deceiver himself, and he does it back to Jacob. And then Jacob returns the favor uh, to him in deceiving and manipulating his father-in-law. God told Jacob to return home. And when he would return home, he made a promise. He said, I will make you prosper uh, more than the sand on the seashores, just like I promised your grandfather Abraham. Going back home, though, meant that Jacob would have to meet Esau. And Jacob freaked out, right? Uh, In Genesis 32, 7 through 9, it says, In great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups, the flocks and herds and cattle as well. He thought if Esau comes and attacks one group, the other group is left for my escape. There you go. It's interesting. Uh, Even though Jacob was a manipulator and deceiver, he had conversations with God. And God continues to lead him back to his homeland. Esau got word of this and began the journey to meet Jacob, though he had an army of 400 men with him. So Jacob was hoping to pacify his brother so that by the time he got to him, his anger would have subsided. But Jacob still thinks that he can do it on his own and still protect himself. You see, Jacob puts everything that belongs to him between him and his brother. He puts his wives, he puts his children, he puts his possessions as a way to say um, they're dispendable or expendable uh, and I want to protect myself. That was the type of man that Jacob was. And so Jacob camps out in this one place after he sends his Uh, possessions in his family um, across the stream. And he comes back and he camps there at night. And this is what Genesis 32 verse 24 says. So Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. So for Jacob, this solitude experience for him was of wrestling with God. God met with Jacob in that place. He wrestled with him and God also meets us in our times of solitude. So as we wrestle with God, what are we actually wrestling, right? It's not against God. I really believe it's with God. So when we wrestle with God, who or what are we up against? So the first point, in solitude, we wrestle against the false self. Now, the false self is not the psychological, like, I need good self-esteem, I need good self-confidence. No, it's the biblical self. This is the... The self is formed uh, in the context of a life lived with God, a life lived in relationship with other people, a life lived into our world. And so the problem is for us, the self has a couple uh, selves at work within us. 
There are two human fundamental ways of being that are at war within us. This would be the false self and this would be the true self. Robert Mulholland says in his book, uh, The Deeper Journey, there are two fundamental ways of being human in the world, trusting in our human resources and abilities or radical trust in God. You can't be grasped by or sustained in the deeper life in God, that is being like Jesus, until you are awakened at the deepest levels of your being to this essential reality. There are two selves at work with you, in, in you. The false self, which is about trusting in your own human resources and your abilities, or there's the true self, which is radical trust in God. The false self is made up of our sinful nature. We are born with a deep, deep uh, sin nature inside of us. Uh, the Bible calls this the flesh or the evil desires. There are also survival tactics that we are um, kind of nurtured into. It's our way of making life work for us. And then there's also sin patterns that have been passed down from our families from three or four generations away. For Jacob, his false self was fearful. It was self-protective. It was manipulative. It was self-focused. Everyone and everything was second to him. But there's hope for us because at war with the false self is our new self or our true self. 2 Corinthians 5 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. The, the new self or the true self uh, is the work of the Holy Spirit in us to make us more like Jesus. Uh, Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. So if we are in Christ, we have a new identity as an adopted son or adopted daughter. And so the battle for us, this war between the false self and the true self is actually, uh, it's a battle of do we live as, as an adopted son or daughter or do we live orphaned? So the goal for you from God is to kill your false self, to kill your sinful self, and to bring into life the full reality of your new created self in Christ. C.S. Lewis says it this way, the Christian way is different and harder. It's easier and more difficult. Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your work. I want you. I have not come to torment your natural self, but to kill it. No half measures are good. I don't want to cut off a branch here or a branch there. I want to have the whole tree down. I don't want to drill the tooth, crown it, or stop it. I want to have it out. Hand over the natural self, all the desires which you think are innocent, as well as the ones you think are wicked. The whole outfit must come out. And then I will give you a new self instead. In fact, I will give you myself. My own will shall become your will. So for us in this wrestling against the false self, against the self that's in us, solitude then becomes a place where the old self dies and the new self is born. The place where the emergence of the new man or new woman in us comes out. This is the place where we meet with God in solitude. And this all sounds really, really good up to the point that we are convicted of sin and we need to surrender certain aspects of our life. And so that brings us to our second point. In wrestling with God, we relinquish control. Genesis 32, 25 through 28 says, When the man, who's God, saw that he could not overpower Jacob, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip would be wrenched and he wrestled with the man. 
Then the man said, Let me go, for it's daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go until you bless me. The man asked him, What is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Now, this is really interesting to me because uh, they're wrestling all night. And all of a sudden, um, God realizes, hey, I'm not going to be able to overpower him. So let me touch his socket. And he's done. Like his socket, his hip socket is wrecked for the rest of his life. It seems really odd to me. God, if you couldn't overcome him, um, could it be more than just a physical power? or a physical overpowering? What if it had less to do with a physical power and more to do with Jacob's stubbornness? What if it was his self-determination? What if it was his, his stubborn false self that he always wanted to have the last word? He always wanted to have the way. He always wanted to be the man on top. What if Jacob couldn't relinquish control of certain areas of his life? What if in the wrestling, God was asking him to surrender his need to control the outcomes, his need to manipulate people, his need to see everyone as disposable, to let unforgiveness and anger released? And then in an interesting turn in events, God simply asks him, what is your name? But it's interesting because God knows his name. In an all light night wrestling match, I believe that God was getting at something much deeper because names are important. They convey identity. They also uh, convey purpose of one's life. Uh, It could be a prophetic moment. And so in that, I believe God was asking, what type of person are you really? And possibly for the first time in Jacob's life, he was honest where he said, I am Jacob. I'm a deceiver. I'm a manipulator. I don't, I don't care about people. And I believe with this confession and declaration, his healing begins. And the text says, The man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. God gave him a new name. It's no longer deceiver. It's Israel. And that means struggles or wrestles with God. He would carry his new name and his way of being with a limp for the rest of his life as a way to remember this marked moment. So for us, one way to relinquish control is by being honest. This is why confession is such an important aspect in our walk with God and and, and our faith community. Um, Because if we show up in solitude and we're not honest, it's impossible to wrestle with God. But when we come, we can be who we really are. The good, the ugly, the messy, and the beautiful. He's not surprised by us. He wants our hearts, not our behavior. And I believe that God is still willing and able to wrestle with us until we're completely honest. So the question is, is there anything right now that you need to relinquish control over to God? Because when we get this right, we're ready to receive what's next. That brings us to our third point is in wrestling with God, we receive God's blessing. Jacob said in Genesis 32, uh, 29 through 30, please tell me your name. But then God replied, why do you ask me my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place uh, Peniel saying, it is because I saw God face to face and my life was spared. Blessing in this context is more than just, hey, good job, or a star on your paper, or a nice note. 
Uh, it has to do with a declaration of favor. It has to do with power being endowed to somebody. Um, it serves as a, a guide and a prophetic direction for somebody's life. And so God blessed Jacob. And so I wonder what that looked like uh, as they were wrestling and they're saying, and, and, and Jacob finally says, my name's Jacob. Like, did, did God stop? grappling with him? And did he look him in the eyes? Did he grab his shoulders and look at him or cup his face and look him directly in his eyes and said, you are no longer Jacob. You are Israel. I just wonder. And as we come and we are honest about our reality, uh, I believe that the same blessing that God spoke over Jesus at his baptism, that you are my beloved son. You are my beloved son daughter, I am so proud of you. I believe that he speaks that over us. To be beloved means that we are dearly loved. And when we receive the blessing of God in a very, very personal way within the context of solitude, it will change us from the inside out and it will set us on a new course of life. And that brings us to our last point. In wrestling with God, we walk into our future. Genesis 33 starts with these verses. Jacob looked up and saw Esau. He was coming with 400 men, so he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two female servants. He put the female servants and their children in front, Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph in the rear. He himself went on ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and he kissed him. And they wept. Healing was taking place in Jacob. And this directly affected his relationships. Jacob's future was pretty certain. Esau was on his way with an army of 400 men to kill him. Yet, when Esau saw Jacob in his posture of bowing seven times before him, I believe it changed his heart. Right? And, I, and I wonder when Jacob divided his family up and that he went ahead of everybody to meet his brother Esau before they got there. I wonder if their kids were like, what is dad doing? Oh, he's, we're no longer in front anymore. He's no longer in the back protecting himself. He's going in front. And then he sees the, their dad bowing down. Like, man, I've, I've actually never seen him do that before. Oh, I don't, I don't know if I've ever seen my dad cry. Oh my goodness. I wonder if um, Jacob's wives uh, which is a whole nother conversation. But I wonder if they were like, ooh, something happened last night and he's a different man today than he was yesterday when he left us. Like, I believe that that the blessing of God that came out of the wrestling with God um, walked Jacob into his new future and it changed who he was. It changed his character and how he walked into different relationships. Eugene Peterson, in his book, Travel Lightly, says this about solitude. Seizing times of solitude, we can explore the meaning of God's love for us. It can develop our understanding of the ramifications of God's forgiveness for us. And it can deepen our sense of God's acceptance for us. Out of such days and hours, new energy flows and the skill of freedom are worked out in our lives. We wrestle with God in solitude so that we can experience the forgiveness of God and the healing of God and then also the freedom to walk into the new future with God. I'm so passionate about solitude because solitude has saved my life. 
the ways that God has encountered me personally. It has saved my marriage. It has saved how I relate to my children, um, how I interact even with each of you. Um, I shouldn't be here today and I shouldn't be the man that I am today if it weren't for God meeting me in spaces of solitude and wrestling the false self with me. If it were up to me, I would be a completely different man, but in God's mercy, he rescued me through wrestling with him. And there's no other practice that has been given by God to give us this space to expose the sin nature that's actually been deep, deep within me. It's revealed the deep-seated anger that lives right below the surface, and solitude has helped me experience the love and healing of God in my life. And so for you this week, as you stop stirring this pot to keep everything under the surface, may you allow your soul to rest. And as you do, would you ask God to look uh, into the stuff that is rising to the surface when you slow down? Because it isn't, uh, it isn't easy to look at that stuff. It's much easier to live um, out of the false, sinful self. It's faster. Sometimes it's more exciting. Um, it seems in the moment more rewarding, but in long term, it's not. So wrestling isn't easy, but it's worth it. And so are you. So for the practice this week, I just have um, a few things for you. This has been condensed from 18 years of um, practicing solitude in my life. Um, The first is to just settle. It's to stop moving um, and to breathe. Or if you're like, "Ah, I don't sit well, then go take a walk in the woods. But make sure you're taking deep breaths and you're noticing what's around you. Oftentimes I need um, a a, a psalm to focus my mind on God. And so I'll use Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, which says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And so as I'm settling and being still and praying this prayer, um, I simply ask Jesus three questions as things start to rise to the surface, things that seem unbearable in my life, things that um, I may want to hide from other people, um, things that, uh, reactions that I had in relationships, and I'll simply ask Jesus, what is this about? And then I wait and listen, and then I'll ask, where does that come from? And then I wait and listen, and then I just say, Jesus, what do you have to say about it? And then I write down everything that comes to mind, Uh, into my senses or things that I hear, um, scriptures that come to mind, a picture or a phrase or even a memory. God speaks in many different ways. And then I simply will offer myself to God. Uh, It often would look like, hey, I need you to go and forgive this person, or I need you to go and have this hard conversation. I need you to go and apologize um, because of that conversation you had yesterday. But I just, I walk forward with Jesus because I want to be obedient to what he says, and then I'll try to go and share it with a trusted friend. You see, friends, wrestling with God is something that we can do on a daily basis, because we just need to pay attention to what's going on a little bit underneath the surface. And so as you go this week and practice solitude by by stopping, and as those things rise to the surface, you just simply get to ask God to wrestle the false self out of you, so that his spirit your new created self will take root and grow and bloom and produce the fruit of the kingdom. Thanks for spending time with me. 
Uh, I hope you have a great week and we can't look or we can't wait to see you next weekend. Thank you for listening to this week's message at Hill City. We would love to have you join us Sunday at 10 a.m. at the Caustic Center in Farmington Hills, Michigan. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can go to our website at thisishillcity.com.